morning. That's a little bit weak. Good morning. <laughs> Thank you. Very thankful for the worship team, aren't you? That was uh, refreshing, great words to sing, and uh, I was just uh, struck by how many of the songs we sang fit with what I'm going to speak on this morning, because we're going to be looking at the book of Isaiah, and uh, just being refreshed and encouraged in these tumultuous days uh, that we're living in. Would you agree we're living in tumultuous days? And uh, we need a good dose of Isaiah this morning, but before we do that, I want to give you a brief update from the Master's University and Seminary. Things are going really great at Master's University and Seminary. Uh, Dr. Sam Horn is the new president, and uh, he has uh, great plans. The Lord's using him to establish some great plans for the future of the school. Uh, He just uh, took office back in the, the spring, in the midst of all the chaos back in the spring, and he hit the ground running. Uh, The thing I want to focus on the most to give you an idea of where things are headed with the Master's University in particular, since I'm still involved there, is the online degrees. And you can get a a bachelor's degree and even there's three different uh, graduate degrees now completely online from the Master's University uh, without ever leaving the Treasure Valley. So uh, what's unique about a Master's University education Uh, So let me address that a little bit. So Master's University is unique in the Christian liberal arts world uh, because, I'll just hit a couple of distinctives, Uh, the view of science and creation science and the opening chapters of Genesis make uh, Master's a very unique uh, education. Uh, The Bible department and the science department completely agree with each other. So when I did my interview in 2005 uh, at Masters University, I was grilled the hardest by the science department, not the Bible department. That was plenty hard. Uh, My first interview off the plane was with Dr. MacArthur. I got ushered off the plane and I was told, we got to hurry, you have to be in Dr. MacArthur's office within an hour and my stomach flipped about three different times. Uh, But that was an easy interview, and they just got harder. Uh, The next one was with the Bible department, and I spent about three hours being grilled on doctrine by the Bible department. And uh, then I got interviewed by the science department. And the science department wanted to make sure that there was no heretical Bible teacher going to slip into the Master's University and teach anything other than literal 24-hour creation uh, from Genesis Uh, one, two, and three. So one of the unique things about the Master's University, there's only about four or five Christian liberal arts schools, believe it or not, in the United States right now that will take a stand on the opening chapters of Genesis, and Master's University is one of those. Uh, There's over 50 different majors at Master's University, but we have 15 complete Uh, online degrees now at the undergraduate level, and I have the privilege of chairing one of those degrees uh, in biblical counseling. We have 80 uh, biblical counseling students studying at the Master's University totally online from all over the world uh, right now, and I just thank the Lord that I still get to be involved. And again, three different graduate degrees. So I'll only have a few minutes afterwards because my flight's at 1.20, believe it or not, But if uh, you can catch me and you want to talk about the Master's University a little bit, I'd love to talk to you about that. So let's pray, and then we're going to let Isaiah speak into our world uh, today. Father, 
thank you so much that we can sing praises to you, the Holy One. You are holy, holy, holy. You are the great and glorious one of the universe. Uh, Even this morning as we spend 40 or 45 minutes looking at the book of Isaiah, I know that we will not do justice to who you are. I pray that you would speak clearly through your prophet Isaiah into the midst of the chaos that we are living in in the United States of America. I pray that your people would leave here comforted that you are still speaking, that you are not absent from the situations, whether they are nationally, internationally, or even locally in our own personal lives. You are speaking into these situations. So, Lord, we commit this time to you. May your purposes be accomplished. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Minister your word to your people now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The times of Isaiah were chaotic. There was great political turmoil. There was talk of war and actual war. There was local and global unrest. There was political intrigue and subversion of rulers. There was family anguish as loved ones died. Does that sound familiar? All of that is what is going on in the United States. The people of Israel and Judah and the nations were serving the wrong things. They were treasuring the wrong things. So guess what happened? Judgment came. Just to give you a little bit of a taste of what was going on in Isaiah's day, look at Isaiah chapter 9. Words like turmoil, anguish, massacre, bloodshed, chaos, captivity, family turmoil are words that characterize the first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah. So I picked two passages just to show you what it was like for Isaiah in the first 39 chapters. So, Isaiah 9, verse 4 and verse 5. For you will break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, as at the battle of Midian, and every boot of the booted warrior in battle tumult and a cloak rolled in blood will be for burning burning for fuel for the fire doesn't sound very nice does it words like blood battle tumult oppressors yoke burden those are the things that characterize the first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah let me show you another passage chapter 26 verse 21 2621. I'm trying to help you enter the world of Isaiah. And the message that I want to send is that Isaiah is still speaking into our world today in the chaos we are we are experiencing in the United States. We need a good dose of Isaiah. 2621. For behold, the Lord is about to come out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. And the earth will reveal her bloodshed and will no longer cover her slain. I believe today God is on the move. God is working globally. God is working working in our nation. 
I came across a quote many years ago from a commentator on the book of Isaiah, and I'm going to read it just to help you enter the world of Isaiah so that you can see how Isaiah fits with the United States of America today. It's uncanny how it fits. Here's what the commentator said. The material prosperity of the two kingdoms produced the usual social and moral evils as well as religious declension. Is that true of the United States? Which inevitably results under such circumstances. The wealth and luxury which resulted from their economic prosperity, together with the spirit of optimism created by military success, produced an an attitude of carnal self-confidence and careless security. That sounds just like the United States today. And that's the climate that Isaiah was ministering to. One of the most interesting things that I've seen, I'd like you to turn to Romans 9. One of the most interesting things is I've studied Isaiah over and over through my life, is that when the New Testament writers quote Isaiah, they quote him often in the present tense. They do not say, as the prophet said. They say, as the prophet is saying. Over and over in the New Testament, we are told that the prophets are still speaking. Please remember what we believe. We believe in the doctrine of inspiration. We believe that this is God. This is not God spoke. This is God speaking into the world that we are living in. But the one that really got my attention recently is from Isaiah 9. He doesn't just quote the prophet Isaiah and say that Isaiah is saying, look what he says in Isaiah 9, and I believe this is true today, and I want to urge you to listen to Isaiah. I need Isaiah. I need Isaiah for the days I'm living in. Isaiah 9:27. It's not just Isaiah is saying. Isaiah 9:27. Isaiah cries out. The Greek word is very strong. Here's what it is. Isaiah is screaming. Isaiah is screaming. And then he quotes, Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, it is the remnant that will be saved. For the Lord will execute his word upon the earth thoroughly and quickly. God is speaking through Isaiah today. And God is going to execute his word upon the earth thoroughly and quickly. Verse 29, as Isaiah foretold, except the Lord of Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, which is a title of the Lord throughout the book of Isaiah. He is the Lord of hosts. Please remember it. Ambassador Bible Fellowship, our country seems out of control, but there is a Lord of Sabaoth. Except the Lord of Sabaoth had left to us a posterity, we would have become as Sodom and would have resembled Gomorrah. So, my Christian friends, I believe Isaiah wants to speak to us this morning. And the chapter that I've chosen for us to spend the rest of our time in is Isaiah 40. I don't have much of an admonition for you this morning. Here's what I'm hoping will happen from the book of Isaiah. I hope it will be soothing for your soul. My desire is for you to have comfort from the book of Isaiah this morning. We need comfort 
in times of turmoil. What are the first 39 chapters like? If it was going to be pictured, the first 39 chapters, if they were going to be pictured like music, it would be dissonance. It would be loud. It would be chaotic. There would be cymbals. There would be drums. There would be great clashing of different musical instruments. That's the first 39 chapters. But then the tone switches totally in Isaiah 40, and it's more like you just turned on soothing music to go to sleep. Look at Isaiah 40, verse 1. Total change in tone. Comfort, O comfort, my people, says the Lord. Speak kindly to Jerusalem. Call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Who is this Lord and what is the comfort that he wants to minister to Ambassador Bible Fellowship this morning through his prophet Isaiah? Look over at verse 12. Our God is the ruler over all nature. Our God is the ruler over all knowledge. Our God is is the ruler over all nations. Isn't that good news? Let's uh, refresh our souls with this and be comforted this morning. Again, my goal is not as much admonition this morning as it is, let your soul be soothed with who the God of the universe is in the midst of the chaos that our country is experiencing. Follow along as I read verses starting with verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens by the span and calculated the dust of the earth by the measure and weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales? Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or as his counselor has informed him? With whom did he consult and who gave him understanding? Who taught him in the path of justice and taught him knowledge and informed him of the way of understanding? By the way, the answer to all these questions is no one. Behold, who is this God? Behold, verse 15, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. Behold, he lifts up the islands like fine dust and even Lebanon is not enough to burn nor its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are regarded by him as less than nothing and meaningless. So who then will you liken God? No one. What likeness will you compare with him? You can't. And then very contemptuously, the idol. A craftsman casts it. A goldsmith plates it with gold, and a silversmith fashions chains of silver. Verse 31 then says, and this is how we'll conclude the message when we get to the very end. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Let's allow Isaiah to minister to our souls and remind ourselves who our incomparable God is. Who is he? He is over all nature. How in control of nature is he? 
He measures the waters of the earth in the hollow of his hand. I mean, I can't even do justice to these phrases. There is no way I can describe in the detail of what this means. He holds the waters of the earth in the palm, in the hollow of his hand. I come from a city, Jacksonville, that is the largest landmass city in the United States. There's a very interesting diagram you can find uh, online of Jacksonville, Florida, that is has Boston, New York City, Los Angeles, and Chicago, all in the city limits of Jacksonville, Florida. 13% of Jacksonville is water. We have water everywhere. We have bridges over the, the St. John's River that goes right through the middle of the city. That's nothing compared to what Isaiah is saying. He measures the waters in the hollow of his hand. Look over another chapter, 4118 says this, your God, the one who you call father, who is Lord of Sabaoth, is over all the waters of the earth. 4118, I will open rivers on the bare heights and springs in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land fountains of water. Psalm 104, if you want to flip back there, Psalm 104 will mainly be in Isaiah, but I'm going to have you flip every so often to some other passages of scripture psalm 104 verses 10 through 13 how in control is he of the waters our brains can't even comprehend this he sends forth springs so from the massive rivers and the powerful oceans down to little mountain streams god is utterly in control of the water of the planet He sends forth springs in the valleys. They flow between the mountains. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them the birds of the heavens dwell. They lift up their voices among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of his works. Again, take a deep breath. Say God is in control. Our culture seems out of control. There's political chaos. There's political turmoil. What are we supposed to do as followers of Jehovah God? Take a deep breath and say, my God is in control. He controls all the waters of the planet. He is over all nature. The next phrase is incredible. Verse 12, he marks off the heavens. So back to Isaiah 40, he marks off. The heavens, he measures the heavens by the span. That's nine inches, the span of a hand. Now let's think about this, and I want to show you a picture. So go ahead and pop that picture up on the screen, and let's think about this of who our God is. This is picturing a spiral galaxy. And uh, just to give you an idea of just how big the universe is, and when he says he measures, the heavens by the span of his hand how incredibly incomprehensible this is our god is incomparable so this is a spiral galaxy Uh, our little solar system so our planets and our sun would be a little dot in a galaxy that we call the milky way galaxy Uh, astronomers estimate that the milky way galaxy is 100,000 light years across Now, let's try to understand that a little bit. 100,000 light years. So the distance that light travels is 
So space is so vast, you have to measure it in light years. So light speed is 186,282 miles per second. A light year is approximately, one light year is then approximately 6 trillion miles. So this galaxy, this spiral galaxy, our Milky Way galaxy, is 100,000 times 6 trillion miles wide. And our solar system is a little dot off to the side. Do you smell, uh, feel small yet? Uh, that's the purpose of this, by the way, is to remind us of how big and how incomparable our God is. So let's go to the next slide. This is a picture that was taken in 2005 from the Hubble Space Telescope. It was taken over a three-month period of time, and it's called the Hubble Deep Space Image. They opened up the lenses of the telescope and absorbed light for three months, and then they developed the picture, and this is what they got. From what I understand, this was a picture that was taken in a part of the sky that when you're looking from planet Earth is totally black. You could cover it with the, the thumb, your thumb, and that would be the size of this picture. It's near uh, the Big Dipper, by the way. And when they took this picture and exposed it, guess what they found? This is not pictures of stars. This is pictures of 10,000, in that little spot in the sky, 10,000 galaxies. So because of that, and they made this online so that you can expand it, you can go on the Hubble telescope site, and you can just keep expanding it and expanding it and expanding it, and you zoom in on the picture, and you keep seeing spiral galaxy after spiral galaxy, and it's 10,000 galaxies with all of their millions, if not billions, of stars. This caused astronomers to recalculate not how many stars there are in the universe, but if you extrapolate this over the, uh, over the sky, that there are 350 billion galaxies. 350 billion galaxies. Our Lord can mark off the heavens by the span of his hand. What should you do in the midst of the political turmoil of our culture, in the midst of all the unrest, the anxiety, people getting sick? We should take a deep breath and we should say, Lord, like verse 31, those who wait on the Lord will gain new strength. Let's keep going. So he measures the waters in the hollow of his hand. He marks off the heavens by the span. He calculates the dust of the earth by the measure. Now, that's really meaningful to me, and maybe you can relate to this here. I understand this is very much like Southern California. This is high desert, right? So I would guess that uh, there's a lot of dust. And uh, in Southern California, where I lived, I lived in Acton, California, we had uh, loads of dust. Sometimes when the sun would come through the window of our living room, we could just see the dust in the living room. We had, I saw a sign on another pastor's wall one time there in Acton, we went to have dinner with them, and they had a sign on the wall of their home in Acton that said, dust is a country accent. And then I saw another sign that said, uh, when you're having company over, you don't dust until you see the whites of their eyes. There's just dust everywhere. This is an amazing verse. 
he calculates, he can weigh, he can measure the dust of the earth by the measure. God is utterly in control. And then the next phrase is intriguing, especially when we come to the understanding it in the book of Isaiah. He weighs the mountains in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales. Now, why is that important? Mountains and hills. Because the people of Israel and Judah were guilty of false worship. And guess where they worshipped the false gods? They worshipped in the mountains and on the hills. And one of the phrases that the prophets constantly was, were or regularly were saying throughout the pro- prophetic books is, cut down the grove of trees that are on the hills. Because that's where the false worship took place. So even where they were worshipping their fa- false gods, the God of the universe is the amazing and comparable God of all the mountains of the planet and all the hills. Our God is over all nature. Let's continue and think about how our God is over all knowledge. Let's go on to the next verses. Our God is over all knowledge. Who is he? Verse 13. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord? Or as his counselor has informed him? Answer, no one. With whom did he consult and who gave him understanding? No one. Who taught him in the path of justice and taught him knowledge and informed him of the way of understanding? No one. Uh, we pride ourselves in how much knowledge we have, don't we? It is, knowledge is just so accessible right now. Even this morning, pulled out my, uh, my little gadget here. And I thought, okay, I don't want to sound stupid in front of Ambassador Bible Fellowship, so what is light speed? And I just typed it in in seconds. What is light speed? Uh, what is a light year? Boom, I had information. I wanted to check a cross-reference on uh, God. Is a, I just typed into Google, God or Safari, whatever it was, God over the waters, Psalms. That was my search. Boom, whole list of verses popped up. We have so much information that uh, is so, just at our fingertips. And I was thinking about this compared to God. All the scientists, what is he saying here? All the scientists of all time, past, present, and future, all their combined knowledge is like a brief Wikipedia article compared to the vastness of the knowledge of God. God is incomprehensible with how much he knows. Uh, What are we seeing here in verses 13 and 14? He is, who is God? He is the perfect, holy, no, no political corruption. He is the perfect, holy, executive branch, legislative branch, and judicial branch all wrapped up in one. And some and someday this one named the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come and reign on the earth and be the perfect legislative branch, perfect judicial branch and perfect executive branch with no political corruption. Doesn't that sound refreshing? Uh, We get so concerned. We are concerned. We should be rightfully concerned about the days that we're living in. But there is a day coming when there is a righteous king, Isaiah proclaims, that will have no political corruption. I am looking forward to that day. It sounds refreshing. And just believing that can keep me going in the nasty days that I'm living in. 
One of the phrases that has helped me through the years as I think about the next year. What's the United States going to be like a year from now? That doesn't sound very nice. What's the United States, what's the world going to be like five years from now? Oh, what, what's it going to be like a hundred years from now? Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And the phrase that has helped me through the years is this. Let your gaze break through to eternity. If the immediate future looks depressing, it's full of anxiety and you're full of fear, preach to yourself truth. Let your gaze break through to eternity. There is a coming king who is over all knowledge. He is the embodiment of wisdom. He doesn't use the word wisdom here, but look in verse 14. Who taught him in the path of justice? He didn't need anyone to teach him justice. He was, as a a king, he doesn't need anyone to teach him how to be a king. He is the embodiment of knowledge. Where is wisdom here? And taught him knowledge and informed him of the way of understanding in proverbs 2 6 knowledge plus understanding equals wisdom he is complete wisdom our god knows what he's doing he has a plan even though things in our nation may seem out of control god has a complete plan please listen to daniel chapter 2 verses 20 and 21 i'll read them for you This is after God revealed to Daniel Nebuchadnezzar's dream and how to interpret it. Daniel answered and said, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him, and it is he who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men. Uh, as we are in this myth, in this season of political turmoil, we have to remember if we're going to have peace in our souls, it is he who changes the times and the epics. He removes kings and establishes kings. Uh, look back at chapter 61, 61 of Isaiah. What are we trying to do today? Isaiah is speaking. Not just speaking, Isaiah is screaming out to the United States of America. There is a God. He is in control. There are coming plans and purposes that are being accomplished. Isaiah 61 verse 11. Isaiah says this. You can count on it. God says it. He never breaks his promises. What's going to happen? For Verse 11. As the earth springs forth, it sprouts. And as a garden causes the things sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. God's plans are going to be accomplished. It may feel out of control to us, but it is not out of control. Turn with me back to Romans, because these very verses are quoted again in Romans. The Apostle Paul was saturated with the book of Isaiah. I could make an argument that Isaiah is the most quoted book. There's a little bit of debate about this. Is Psalms quoted the most or is Isaiah quoted the most in the New Testament? I think I could make a really strong argument that Isaiah is the most quoted book in the Bible. So something for you to think about. If Isaiah was so important to Paul that he quotes it over and over, guess what book ought to be important to you? 
you ought to know the book of Isaiah. Uh, Anytime you're stuck and you don't know what to do for your quiet time, go back to Isaiah. That's what I've done through the years. I'm not sure what to do next for my quiet time. I'm going to go back to Isaiah and just read Isaiah over and over and over. The very verses we were just looking at are in Isaiah 11:33 to 36. Who is God? Verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Sound familiar? Who became his counselor? No one. Who was first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? No one. So how do we live with this God? How do you live in the United States of America in the year 2020 that has just been absolutely chaotic? Verse 36. For from him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. That's my favorite verse in the Bible. How am I supposed to live my life? Every day of my life as if everything that's coming into my life is from him. Nothing comes into my life unless it comes through the hand of God first. For from him, and how am I going to get through this day? Lord, I have fear. I have anxiety. I don't know what the future holds. And what does he say? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. For from him and through him. And how am I supposed to live with every act in my life? And to him are all things. That's what I call living as a worshiper. As if everything is from him, through him, and to him. That helps keep me sane in the midst of watching the news uh, in the evening. Which, by the way, that's not wise to do as you're trying to go to sleep at night. It's not wise to watch the news and then try to calm down and uh, go to sleep, especially the days that we're living in. Let's go on to the last point. Back to Isaiah 40. Let's soothe our souls with Isaiah 40. He is over all nature. I hope that's brought some new meaning. These verses have brought some new meaning that God's over all nature. He's over all knowledge. Incomprehensible. Later on in the chapter, he, it, Isaiah says his ways are inscrutable. Uh, you just can't exhaust the knowledge of God. And maybe the most important verses for the days that we're living in, he is over all nations. Things aren't out of control. Feels like it from our standpoint. It looks nasty from our standpoint. But the God of the universe, his plans and purposes are being accomplished. Who are the nations? Verse 15. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. I love that phrase. All the pomp and circumstance of all the nations of the planet, they're just like a little drop in a bucket compared to God. All the kings and all their splendor and all their gold and all their silver and trumpets blaring, it's just like a drop in the bucket. Uh, The illustration that comes to my mind is imagine getting a drink from, uh, you get a Coke from McDonald's and you drank the whole Coke and you're trying to get that last piece of ice out of the bottom of the cup. And you're banging the bottom of the cup. And that last piece of stubborn ice won't come out of the bottom of the cup. Nations are like a drop from a bucket. They are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. Who is God? 
He lifts up the islands like fine dust. Sometimes study in the book of Isaiah, the islands of the sea. And one of the pictures that you get in Isaiah is that God has global purposes for all the nations and even down to the minutia of the islands, the thousands and thousands of islands of the sea. And he desires to make worshipers of all the nations and down into the islands of the sea. It's a theme throughout the book of Isaiah. Behold, he lifts up the islands like fine dust. What's the next verse mean? Very interesting. Even Lebanon is not enough to burn, nor its beasts enough for a burnt offering. What's that talking about? Remember what Lebanon is known for. Lebanon is known for its majestic cedar trees. And there are not enough cedar trees to, enough, to make enough burnt offerings compared to the majesty and of what God is worthy of. There are not enough beasts for burnt offerings. Nations are as nothing, verse 17 says before him. They are regarded by him as less than nothing and meaningless. Who is this God? Let's skip down to verses 21 to 23. And he runs together two of the themes of nature and nations. And he says this, Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? Who is your God? Let your soul rest in this this morning. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. He sits above the vault of the earth. Its inhabitants, us, are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He is over all nature. He is over all nations. Verse 23, he it is who reduces rulers to nothing who makes the judges of the earth meaningless. Scarcely have they been planted. Scarcely have they been sown. Scarcely has their stock taken root in the earth. And he merely blows on them and they wither. And the storm carries them away like stubble. So verse 25, To whom then will you liken me? No one, that I may be his equal, says the Holy One. Let your souls rest in this, friends. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. We've already talked about that and how incredibly immense this is. Look up at the stars. He is the one who leads forth their host by number. He knows all the stars by name. I uh, laugh when I hear, I used to hear a commercial of name a loved one. Or name a star after one of your loved ones. Do you remember that radio commercial? And I'd read it, or I'd hear it, and I'd go, that's ridiculous. They already have names. God has names for all the stars of the universe. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. He is over all nature. He is over all knowledge. He is over all nations. What are we supposed to do? Look at the concluding verses. Again, I told you at the beginning, I feel very compelled just to try to comfort you with God's word. I'm not trying to give an admonition this morning. I'm just trying to minister the word in the midst of chaos in our culture. Uh, we can be at ease. Uh, we can rest. 
our God is in control in the midst of the chaos. What are we supposed to do? It's the only admonition in this whole chapter. Uh, It's really dramatic. There's many admonitions in Isaiah, but you get to Isaiah 40, and it's really sincerely Isaiah through God. Through Isaiah is just saying, comfort, be at rest. Look at verse 31. It's the only admonition. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Let's finish by just thinking about what is he saying here in Isaiah 40:31. What does it mean to wait for the Lord? Turn with me back to chapter 49, verse 23, and we get a sense of what waiting on the Lord means. And one of the themes, if you read Isaiah, and I'll, I'll give you an, Isaiah, an idea about how to read Isaiah, sit down and read 15 or 20 chapters at a time. Just get the flow of thought and just keep reading it and try to pick up on the argument of Isaiah and the flow of Isaiah. And one of the themes that you'll pick up on in Isaiah is what are you trusting in? Where are you putting your hope? What brings meaning and purpose to your life? What is the security of your life? It comes up over and over in Isaiah. So here it is in Isaiah 49, 23. And kings will be your guardians, and their princesses your nurses. They will bow down to you with their faces to the earth and lick the dust of your feet. And you will know that I am the Lord. And those who hopefully wait for me will not be disappointed or put to shame. Hopefully wait. The idea of waiting in the Bible, the Psalms and Isaiah, is the idea of trust. What are you trusting in? Let me uh, put together wait with something we can all relate to. So you just ordered something on Amazon and uh, you get a a shipping notification and you know when UPS or FedEx is going to bring it to your house because they have a track record. You trust that it'll be there. You hit the tracking number or the tracking link and it says estimated arrival time is... And because they come by your door almost every evening at 6 o'clock, you fully expect that the package that you have been waiting for is going to be at the door. You trust it. You put your hope in it because it's been a reliable uh, delivery service. That's exactly, and you're waiting for it. You're waiting for the package to come. And you're waiting for it with eager anticipation, especially as Christmas is coming. You're waiting for it with eager anticipation. All of that is wrapped up in Isaiah 40:31. Those who wait for the Lord, those who put their hope in the Lord, those who put their trust in the Lord. And you can trust him because he is utterly trustworthy. Let's finish with this. How trustworthy is he and what should you be doing in the days that we're living in? I'm a counselor. I help people. I try to help people take care of their souls. So I want to finish with how can you have a healthy soul in the tumultuous days we're living in? Look at Isaiah 26, verses 3 to 5. Those who wait for the Lord. It's like saying those who trust the Lord. Those who put their hope in the Lord are the people who are going to have a healthy soul. Isaiah 26 says this. Remember the first 39 chapters are chaos, blood, 
turmoil. Family members are dying. It's awful. The first 39 chapters, and we're in those chapters. And sprinkled through those chapters are promises of hope, like Isaiah 26. The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Why should you trust in the Lord? Hope is no more secure than its object. So why should you trust in the Lord? Verse 4, trust in the Lord forever, for in God the Lord we have an everlasting rock. He is the rock. Well, how secure is he? He has brought low those who dwell on high, the unassailable city. That's the the ancient city of Babylon. It seemed inconquerable. Nobody would imagine that if you went to the Middle East now, you'd have to dig through sand to find the city of Babylon. He has torn down the unassailable city. He lays it low. He lays it low to the ground. He casts it to the dust. If you want to have peace in the midst of turmoil and the chaotic days we're living in, you're going to have to speak truth to yourself. You're going to have to not let your soul talk to you. You're going to have to talk to your soul. And what do you do? You have to have a disciplined mind. Isaiah 26, verse 3. The steadfast of mind, so a disciplined mind, you will keep in shalom, shalom. Shalom in Hebrew is more than just peace. It's contentment. May your life be fulfilled. May you have contentment in life. May you have satisfaction in life. So, and he doubles it here. If you have a disciplined mind and you trust in the Lord who's the rock, you can have shalom, shalom. And remember the context. It's in the midst of chaos. That's the first 39 chapters. Many years ago, Jerry Bridges wrote a wonderful book. If you've never read it, it needs to go on your reading list. It's called Trusting God. And in that book, very good for the the times we're living in, Trusting God, the subtitle is Even When Life Hurts. It would be in my top five books that every Christian should read. There's now a wonderful 31-day devotional book that goes with it. He defines trust this way. If you could put that definition up on the screen And I'm going to close with this. And then I want to give you just a couple of minutes to talk to the Lord and try to calm down your soul in the midst of the chaos we're living in. What is trust? He says trust is not a passive state of mind. It is not something that just happens to you. Uh, Some people think, you know, faith will just kind of hit me and I'll feel living by faith. I'll just feel it. That's not faith. Faith is a vigorous act of the soul. John Piper says you have to fight for joy. That doesn't make any sense. Fight to get peace. Fight to get happiness. Happiness and fighting don't normally go hand in hand, except for when it's your soul. Because if your soul is like my soul, my soul is not my best friend. My inner person is not my best friend. I have to speak truth to myself. It is a vigorous act of the soul. I have to fight for this. And what am I fighting to do? I am choosing to lay hold on the promises of God. I am choosing to tell my soul what to believe rather than believing what my soul tells me to believe. Uh, Your inner person talks to you all the time. I want to speak to my inner soul rather than letting it speak to me. So I'm choosing to lay hold on the promises of God and I'm clinging to them despite the adversity that at times seeks to overwhelm us. 
It wouldn't take a, um, a prophet to say the next weeks in the United States are going to be tumultuous. It doesn't look nice as things continue to unfold with the election. And um, I'm not being a prophet here, but I'm telling you, it doesn't look nice. What do we do? We have to vigorously trust the promises of God in the midst of the adversity of life. So much more could be said about Isaiah. What's the takeaway? The takeaway from Isaiah would be this. Why look for answers for stability and for relief and for coping in life in the same things the culture does? It doesn't make any sense to do that. What should we be doing? We should be putting our trust in the living God. He is in utter control of nature. He is in utter control of all knowledge. He is in utter control of the nations. And I need to choose to rest in Him. I'm going to invite you to start doing that right now. I'm going to pray. And I just want to invite you to bow your head right now. Just bow your head, close your eyes. And I'm going to give you some things to thank the Lord for in conclusion here. Let me give you some things to thank the Lord for. Why don't you thank the Lord? Just between you and your Creator right now, why don't you thank the Lord that He's in control? Just talk to the Lord right now and say, Lord, thank you that you're in control. Why don't you thank the Lord that He's over all the nations? Maybe your soul doesn't want to believe it right now. But keep telling your soul to believe it. Lord, thank you that you're over the nations. You're the one that sets up kings and removes kings. Why don't you thank the Lord that he's trustworthy? He's the rock. He can destroy ancient cities like Babylon. Nobody would have believed it during that time. Lord, thank you that you are utterly trustworthy. You fulfill your promises. Most importantly, one of the main themes of Isaiah is that there was a Savior who was coming. He's the child who would be born, the wonderful counselor who is Emmanuel, God with us, and he's coming again. Why don't you thank the Lord that he sent a Savior and tell the Lord that you believe he's coming again.